If you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5, as we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. If you recall last week in our previous section, Paul has just proclaimed one of the most exciting truths, one of the greatest truths, one of the verses that belongs in the Romans road method of evangelism, Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We rejoice in that fact this morning, right? That we're no longer enemies of God, but are reconciled to him. Well, now as we get into verse 12 to the end of this chapter, Paul is going to teach us how we got into this predicament of needing Christ's atoning death in the first place. So let's begin uh, this little longer section starting in verse 12. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for these rich theological truths that you give us in the book of Romans. We pray that by your spirit, you would apply them to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the uh, traditional assignments in English class at all levels of academic instruction is to have students submit a compare and contrast essay. You remember those, right? Some of you uh, might, young people might even be in the midst of writing one right now. Others may have a little PTSD from even mentioning English class to you. But a compare and contrast essay is a style of paper that is intended to point out both the similarities of and the differences between two subjects. It's an ideal way to show what separates and what unites related things and concepts particularly if the subjects are often confused or uh, unjustly lumped together in some way. 
Now, back in 2001, in my former church, I chose to use the compare and contrast essay format in our church newsletter. That's what we had before blogs and podcasts. Now, at that time, the first Harry Potter movie had just came out at the same time as the first Lord of the Rings movie. So in an effort to educate families about these movies and, of course, the books, I compared and contrasted Harry Potter with Frodo Baggins, showing how they're similar in many ways and how they're actually very different in other ways. Well, at least back then, I saw many more Christ-like qualities in Frodo than in Harry, but, you know, Harry got better as the movies went on and the books went on. Well, hopefully it gave some parents some guidance and again, uh, helping them see the similarities and differences uh, between two things to clear up any confusion. So what we just read here actually in Romans 5 is the Apostle Paul employing uh, this compare and contrast methodology in a much more vital subject than Frodo versus Harry. He wants to make sure Christians uh, today and then uh, understand the similarities and differences between Adam and Jesus Christ. So what we have here uh, in this essay, if you will, uh, is two comparisons and four contrasts. So let's start with the comparisons. Two ways we see here that Adam and Jesus are actually similar. First similarity is both are one man. Both are one man. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, therefore, as sin came into the world through one man. Now, he doesn't name Adam as this one man until verse 14, but in context, he's clearly talking about Adam right here in verse 12. Then if you go down to verse 15, Paul returns to this one man language. He writes, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. Six more times in this section, Paul refers to the one man. Adam was one man. Jesus was one man. Now, of course, Paul wasn't teaching that Jesus was only a man like Adam was only a man. He is simply providing a comparison, a way they're similar. They're, they're both male. They're both humans. They're both individuals. They're both real people. Adam and Jesus are similar in the sense that they're both one man. And then he gives us a second comparison here in this text. He, he tells us that both one man, both men acted in ways that greatly affected the human race. Look back again to verse 12. Paul writes that sin and death came into the world through this one man, Adam. Adam's actions affected the entire human race. As Paul goes on to write, death spread to all men because all sinned. All human beings are born sinners due to Adam's sin. Before Jesus entered into the scene as a baby, there was no contest to award Adam with that one action that most dramatically changed the course of human life in the entire world. And then Paul goes on to make the comparison in verse 15 again. For if many, he writes, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
Now, we'll, we'll deal with the differences in a moment, but Jesus is similar to Adam in that his actions, his perfect life, his perfect death on the cross impacted the human race dramatically as well. Adam brought a radical change to the world. So did Jesus. Both men had uh, acted in ways that had far-reaching consequences for every human being of all time. All right, with those two similarities in mind, Paul then continues his compare and contrast essay with the contrast part. Four ways where Adam and Jesus are vastly different from one another. So we go back again to verse 12 with the first contrast, and it's this. Sin came through Adam. Grace comes through Jesus Christ. Sin came through Adam. Grace comes through Jesus Christ. What, a, what an incredible contrast. While Adam brought sin to us, Jesus Christ brings the free gift of the grace of God. Well, let's begin this contrast first with Adam. How did Adam's sin, how did Adam's fall bring sin into the world? Did sin just kind of creep in gradually over years, decades, centuries as each sinful person was born and then that sinful person starts sinning? Well, in a way, yes. But according to verse 12, the impact of Adam's sin was much more direct and much more immediate. Look again where Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Not all began sinning, all sinned. Now, it's, it's hard to comprehend how the entirety of humanity sinned when Adam sinned. This truth is reflected in, in this old Christian saying that maybe you've heard, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. But in our modern thinking that's preoccupied with only with the individual, we can think this is just so unfair. I wasn't there when Adam sinned, I would have done much better, right? How did I sin too? How was I involved in this? Well, this is one of the many texts in scripture, just one that teaches the doctrine that uh, of Adam as our federal head, the representative of mankind. Because we belong to the one human race, we all have sinned when this one man sinned. We sinned in Adam. Now we've been teaching, our teaching team has been teaching the communicants class uh, this uh, semester. And I recently uh, taught this subject to our communicants. And I, I always teach it in the same way. I ask them the question, uh, do we sin because we're sinners or do we, uh, are we sinners because we sin? Well, that confuses some, but not all. There's some sharp ones in there that pick it up really quick. That says, well, they understand we're sinners, uh, not because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We all enter the world as sinners. So we automatically become, uh, begin sinning from the first breath. Now, before Paul actually finishes his thought and goes on to the contrast uh, with Jesus Christ, he offers a little parenthesis for us there in verses 13 and 14 that we need to look at briefly. 
he writes, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, Paul needs to make the point here to prove that everyone from Adam to Moses are also part of the all who sinned. In other words, sin didn't just appear in the world when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. Well, how do we, we know that? How do we know that sin was in the world from the very beginning? Well, Scripture tells us, but look at what verse 14 says. He writes, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death only reigned in the world between Adam and Moses because sin was already here. Sin was in the world. So all of the people and all the animals and everything that died from Adam to Moses proved the fact that sin was in the world before the law was given at Mount Sinai. People were sinners. All creation was fallen. This is Paul's good sound logic. But what Paul is also saying is that the law of God existed in the world long before it was codified and written down on Mount Sinai. Again, look at his words there. He says, sin is not counted where there is no law. In other words, law was there from the beginning. Right and wrong existed from the beginning. Good and evil existed from the beginning. Just think about what was said about mankind right before the flood. Their thoughts and their actions were evil all the time. Well, then Paul makes this transition now to the contrast between Adam and Jesus Christ, actually at the end of verse 14. Look there as he calls Adam a type of the one who was to come. How in the world can Adam be a type of Christ? Well, as, as we just discussed in the comparison section, because he was one man who brought something into our world that changed the world. He was a type of Christ, which moves us forward to the contrast with Jesus. The great contrast that instead of bringing sin into the world, Christ brings the grace of God for sinners. Look at verse 15. Paul says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. That's a statement of contrast. The free gift of God's grace, the free gift of salvation is so much more effective, so much more powerful than sin and death. So then Paul seeks to explain that thought in verses 15 to 17. Look what he says there. He says, for if many died through Adam's sin, the grace of God has abounded that much more to the many. Now we have to be, uh, we have to be careful to recognize that Paul is using the word many in two different ways. In its first use, for if many died, Paul is actually describing all of Adam's physical descendants. That's everyone. All died in Adam. And at the close of the verse where he writes, grace abounded that much more for the many, Paul is using it differently. He is describing all those who belong to Christ. That is truly many, but not everyone. So the free gift is given to many, all who are in Christ, and that is so much better than the sin that Adam gave to many 
all of humanity. But that begs the question, how is it much better? Well, hopefully we know that by experience, how it's much better. But according to Paul, he describes here in this contest, in this context, that the free gift of God's grace doesn't just return people to the state that Adam was in before he sinned. No, it does much more. As we see in verse 17, look at it there. He says, this free gift of God's grace gives us the righteousness of Christ, eternal life in Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, it doesn't just give you your righteousness back. That would be a great thing, but it gives you the righteousness of Christ. So we see here that the contrast of sin versus grace is not one of equivalence, meaning that they're just opposites. No, one is the worst, one is the best. The grace of God is so radically different in its power in our lives than the power of sin can ever be. Which leads us to the second contrast. And we see that in verse 17. Death reigns from Adam, life reigns in Christ. Again, we'll begin with Adam. So we already talked about that, right? As, as sin entered the world, death did, because there was no death in the world before sin came along. When Adam brought sin to all of us, he also gave us the curse of death. Now for us, it's, it's impossible to comprehend a world without death. Death is thought of by many people as just a natural part of life. It's just what happens at the end of life. There's no correlation in many people's minds uh, to sin and to the entrance of sin. But death is unnatural according to God's word. It doesn't belong in God's world. It's an alien invader allowed only in by the entrance of sin. So then Paul writes more about it in verse 17. He uses this language, death reigned through that one man. Death reigned. Death is a powerful and destructive force that seeks to dominate the affairs of human beings. Death strikes fear in us. As we think back over these last few years when scientists actually declared to the world that COVID-19 could bring death and could bring that death to many, it changed everything. If COVID-19 would have just given us all a temporary cough and a little bit of fever, then we would have ignored it and maybe even laughed it off as just another virus out there. But it brought death. Sin in our world just keeps piling up dead bodies. Death reigns and rules because of this one man's sin. But then we have the contrast of Jesus Christ. And you, hear, you see phrases and heard phrases as I read it earlier of the much more. And it's here. Just like Christ brought the many much more with the grace of God, he also brings much more with than the mere reversal of the reign of death. Look at verse 17. Here's the language. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Think about it. For the Christian, the reign of death is not just replaced by an equivalent reign of life. 
but a reign so amazingly glorious because we will reign with Christ. In 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul writes that all who endure with him will reign with him. The life we have in Christ means death is defeated, that we have nothing to fear from things or from people that can kill us. Jesus actually wrote these words in Matthew 10, 28, exhorting us, commanding us to fear no man because they can only kill the body, not send us to some eternal death in hell. So while Adam brought misery, certainly, to all of us with the reign of death, Christians enjoy the reign of life here and now, as well as forevermore. The tyranny of death in our life stops on the day that you put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. Which brings us to the third contrast in verse 18. You'll read there, see there that there is condemnation in Adam, but justification in Christ. Again, look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So we know Paul, again, is speaking of Adam as committing that one trespass. That one trespass not only brought sin and death into the world, but also condemned all humankind to eternity in hell. Paul clearly states that original, that original sin brought condemnation to all men. But then he gives us that another great contrast with Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who did the one act of righteousness. Now, of course, he did many more acts of righteousness, so he's speaking there of the most important act of dying on the cross for sinners. But we have a problem with this verse. I know you already caught it and you're thinking about it. Paul says, Paul writes, that one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. Wait a minute, Paul. Is he preaching universalism here? Are all human beings made right with God through the death of Christ? Are all people going to heaven for eternity? Well, if this is what Paul means, he's already contradicting what he said in this letter and elsewhere in many places. For example, uh, in chapter 1, verse 16, Paul clearly states that salvation is only for believers, only those who believe in Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verse 22, he also says the righteousness of God through faith is only for those who believe. And then just in verse 17, the verse before, Paul wrote that only those who are in Christ will receive the overflowing grace and the free gift of salvation. Well, maybe what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth will help us here. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 23 says, for, you'll listen to the same language, similar language. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, here are the key words, those who belong to Christ. Clearly, Paul is assuming that the readers understand that justification for all men means all human beings who are in Christ. 
But that does still leave us with a little bit of a nagging question of why Paul would use such strong language when he uses the words many before he chooses to use the word all men here. Well, there are several ideas out there, but I think the best answer is to take it in context of the entire letter. Paul was battling still the persistent temptation of the Jews to regard themselves as better, as different, uh, but certainly better than the Gentiles. Even Jewish Christians were struggling with this view. So Paul is seeking to be clear that Christ saves all men, not in a universal sense, but in the sense of both Jew and Gentile, all nationalities, all ethnicities. What great news that is for us, right? That Christ justifies all sorts of people whom he calls to himself, to all who believe in him. Well, then finally, in verse 19, we have one last contrast given to us. Adam disobedient, Christ obedient. Look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners... Again, we know Paul is talking about Adam, the man who was given the first commands by God, the one man who chose to disobey instead of obey. And in the day he disobeyed, he died spiritually. So we have the reminder again that Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world. Paul returns again to this language of the many, meaning here again, all mankind, as we saw before. Well, then we have the contrast in that verse with Jesus Christ, the rest of the verse. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now notice here something interesting. Christ's obedience doesn't make us sinless, which we know, but which would make sense in this compare and contrast essay, right? It would seem to be the contrast as Adam made us sinners. Well, doesn't Christ make us sinless? No, instead, believers in Christ, the language here, we're made righteous, or better said, declared righteous. Christians enjoy Christ's righteousness since he is our federal head as the Savior of sinners. His perfect obedience, his righteousness, made the declaration that all who are in Christ are righteous in the sight of God. Christ obeyed not only because Adam disobeyed, but in Adam, we all disobeyed. So Christ's obedience is not just in stark contrast to Adam's disobedience, but it's in stark contrast to our disobedience. We need Christ to be perfectly obedient because of our disobedience. All right, we have two last verses that actually is where Paul wraps up his compare and contrast essay in verses 20 and 21. So look again at verse 20. He writes, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Well, one more contrast in his closing. It actually brings us full circle to Paul's first contrast. The law only increased sin among human beings, It produced more rebellion against God and his ways. But thankfully, grace is not only different than sin, it abounds. It is much more than sin, much greater. 
much more powerful in our lives. And then he finishes this section in verse 21. He writes, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul beautifully summarizes his compare and contrast essay in using seven major words. Word number one, sin, right? This is the first sin again of Adam, representative of the human race whose disobedience is imputed to all of us. This is a fact to which all of our individual sins bear witness to. Second word, reign. When Adam sinned, it seemed as if sin would triumph completely. Death began to rule, but then God's grace intervened and reigns in the hearts and lives of God's children. Third word, death. Sin, as we saw in this text, brought condemnation and death, both physical death and spiritual death. It produces death of body and soul. It separates people from God. But then it turns the corner in this conclusion to grace. The fourth word, the free gift of God's grace meets sin head on and defeats it. Then the fifth word, righteousness, not a righteousness provided by a man, the righteousness of Christ imputed to all who are in Christ. It was through Christ's righteousness that grace triumphs over sin. And then the words eternal life. When the sinner enjoys the grace of God, the grace of the righteousness of Christ, then he's on his way to eternal life, but it's also an eternal life here and now, culminating fully in heaven. Then Paul ends his entire compare and contrast essay with the focal point, the center of his argument, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Apart from the sacrifice of and the love of Jesus Christ on the cross, we would never have the grace that can conquer sin and death. We would never have life at all. So really, when you think about it, there is no true comparison between Adam and Christ. Jesus Christ is our all and all. He is our life. He is our life in this death-filled world that we live in every day. So enjoy this grace-giving contrast today. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this rich passage, again, full of life-changing, heart-changing theology, full of contrast that our hearts need. We thank you that Christ is so different than Adam we thank you that Christ's grace and love is so much more powerful than sin. We thank you that death doesn't reign in us as believers, but life does in Jesus Christ. We thank you for these truths today. In Jesus' name, amen.